The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome. It's nice to be here on a Monday evening. It's been a while since I taught here on a Monday evening. And for those of you who I haven't met before, my name is Andrea Fella. I'm the co-teacher here, the co-guiding teacher here at IMC. I usually teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but this week we're having a, a week-long non-residential retreat, a daily life practice retreat. And so as part of that program, um, I'm offering a talk tonight that's along the lines of the theme of what we're exploring during this week of daily life practice. And the theme for our week of practice together is practice in relationship. So that's what I'd like to explore tonight with you. I think often when we um, think about meditation practice at least, we orient or focus on the sitting practice, an internal practice, sitting with our eyes closed and exploring body and mind from the inside. And this is um, a great practice. I love this practice. I spend months doing this practice. I go off for long retreats and do this. And it's, uh, it, it's very conducive to helping to um, heal our hearts and minds, the ways that we're conflicted internally. Essentially, the ways in which our, our own relationship with ourselves is in conflict. So that's an aspect of how this practice uh, works with relationship. It helps to heal our relationship with ourselves. And yet, um, there's a whole host of outer relationships relationships, particularly what we're looking at this week in the daily life practice retreat is relationships to other people. There's relationships to um, uh, resources and um, how we engage in the world also. And this exploration of our relationship to the outer world is... um, a good piece of what happens in daily life. I mean, if we think about our sitting practice trying to be a model for what we do in daily life, there's huge pieces of how we engage in daily life that get kind of fall off the plate. And so um, looking at how to actually bring our practice to the ways that we go through the world, the ways that we live in the world. And actually this exploration of how we are how can we practice in the outer world the, um, the relationships, the cultivating skillful relationships to the outer world supports us inwardly. If we cultivate uh, skillful relationships with other people, ethical relationships with other people, relationships of kindness and caring and love with other people, then that kind of rebounds on our inner experience, giving us a, a, a place of um, ease and uh, lack of remorse, not, not having, not having um, um, things to regret in our lives, that supports us to be able to settle down in our, in our inner life. And as we cultivate our inner life, it supports our being able to have a more skillful relationship with the world, partly because we see that when we turn our relationship inwardly, we see that what's going on in here 
when we really look at it, we see that what's going on in here is um, a lot of conditions coming together. A lot of um, uh, causes and patterns and threads from our lives and our, our history and our families. And, you know, it's like we're this process that's at unfolding. And there's a lot of what happens in this process that we see when we look inwardly that, wow, you know, there's a lot of suffering in there. There's a lot of struggle in there. And as we see that inwardly, that we are this process at work, this process created from causes and conditions, we recognize, you know, this isn't just about me. We see that this uh, kind of way that we have suffering, you know, that we see that when we something comes up and we react to it and we don't want it and we get frustrated and angry about it, that that's all a, a process unfolding. We also see that that gets... Um, that's happening for others as well. And our inner understanding of how our minds work gets multiplied by seven billion people. And there's this heartbreaking sense of, wow, look how much suffering there is in the world. And so this inner exploration also then turns around and connects us to that outer exploration. So there's this mutual relationship between exploring the inner world and exploring the outer world. And I'd like to focus tonight on exploring the outer world, some of the tools, the teachings that the Buddha offered about relationship. He talked a lot about relationship, actually. In particular, I'm going to look at three main areas that he explored in terms of cultivating skillful relationships with other people, cultivating community, cultivating um, concord. Uh, There's a a sutta called the Six Principles of Cordiality that he actually gave to uh, a bunch of monks who were quarreling with each other. They were really going at it. And um, you know, these six principles basically incorporate these pieces that I'm going to talk about tonight. They incorporate um, generosity, giving, practicing, uh, offering time, financial support, material support, just practicing that relationship of offering. It includes um, ethical conduct, and it includes uh, the cultivation of an open heart, of caring, of kindness. And so these first two, the practice of dana, of giving, and the corresponding quality of generosity that is cultivated from the practice of giving, uh, this practice of dana is framed as an action. You know, it's it, the, the, the inner quality of generosity uh, is something that can't be demanded. You know, I think that's something that we see a lot as we start to look at our minds. We can't just decide, I'm going to feel a certain way right now. I'm going to turn on the switch of generosity and feel very generous right now. Or I'm going to turn on the switch of love and feel kindness right now. 
And so the, the Buddha encouraged, the first steps were to encourage particular actions that support the field or creating the, uh, the ground from which those inner qualities can be nourished and start to grow. And so for generosity, the action he suggested is giving. The second of these two, the, the ethical conduct, is also about how we engage in the world. In this case, uh, refraining from certain actions. And so these first two are really about how do we act? How do we act with our communities? How do we engage? And so the um, practice of dana, of giving, uh, really is this um, uh, practice of connecting through offering. And whatever it is that we offer, whether it's financial resources or material goods or um, our time, our service, our presence, there's so many different ways that we can offer our, our conduct too. Uh, our ethical conduct, our kindnesses also can be considered an offering. Whatever types of things we give, the teachings around giving really emphasize looking at not just the act of giving, but how we are as we're giving. There's so many different ways, so many different motivations that we can have when we offer something. We can offer something in a stingy way, not really wanting to give it away. We can offer something in a kind of a uh, off-handed way, like, oh, I don't need that anymore. You know, that person could take that. The, um, the teachings suggest that a person who is interested in cultivating giving to cultivate this inner realm of generosity and skillful relationship um, gives with integrity and giving with integrity has a couple of different meanings the first piece that it it explores is um, giving with uh, understanding that giving in a certain way or really um, connecting with this act of giving is a support for helping generosity grow. It's a support for letting go. And so the, the, this, it's said that one gives with this, um, uh, this understanding of conviction that this is helpful for, for this mind to, uh, to give, to learn about letting go, to learn about connection, to learn about this quality of generosity. So that, that's the first piece. It's kind of an orientation of why we give including this um, understanding that it supports our deeper work of letting go, of the ways that we hold on. It's a, it's a kind of an outer manifestation of letting go, that we can let go of something, that we give something. Additionally, the um, act of giving with integrity 
encourages giving with attentiveness. So basically being present while you're giving. You know, being actually aware of what's going on in yourself, in, in the situation. You know, the, the, the one interesting, one interesting um, uh, difference in the way giving is held in Asia, when I've been in Asia practicing in Asia and as it's held here, is that it seems that here there is a um, a um, value put on giving anonymously and not having people know that you're giving. That's seen as a beneficial thing. You know that it's seen as is somehow better to give if if people don't know that you've done it. And the interesting thing is that in Burma, where I've been practicing, the, uh, the act of giving is celebrated very personally, that there's the connection made, the, uh, the relationship between the giver and the receiver is very direct. It's not indirect. It's not, it's not that you give something and sometime later somebody gets it and it's like, oh, wow, this is nice and there's no sense of where it came from. But in this is this is um, I think part of this giving with attentiveness. Now we can also give with attentiveness if we're giving anonymously, and I don't want to downplay that as a as a beautiful action that anonymous giving. But also you might consider what it means to actually give in relationship, in connection. It establishes. This is one of the ways I think that. Giving really establishes relationship is when there's that direct connection. And in, um, you know, in, in Burma, it is just so celebrated, you know. People, people talk about the, their giving and how they're still, you know, this, this one story I heard of somebody that had offered something um, and was um, uh, at a later time wanted to offer something but didn't have the opportunity and it was it was because somebody else had offered something and that person said oh i'm so sorry i didn't give you the opportunity to offer today you know that i'm sorry you know that, that I, you know i've taken your place and so there was that little exchange between them but the person who didn't have the opportunity to give said that's okay i gave a few weeks ago and it was wonderful <laughs> and so there's this celebration of giving in this direct um uh, recognition of the value and the joy of giving, and this is this is another piece of giving in this way with integrity. That um, there's a kind of a joy that comes with it. Another piece of the open heart that is cultivated as we give with integrity is that there's this recognition that we're going to offer something, and there's a delight in that reflection. And in the offering, there's a delight. And in the reflection afterwards, there can be a delight. So giving with attentiveness, being actually conscious, this is an act of giving right now. What is my motivation for this act? You know, mixed motivations will exist. But we're not going to really be able to um, connect with that unless we're present in the moment. You know, what is the motivation? Is there, is there a sense of joy in the giving? Is it a sense of, oh, this is something I should do? 
Or is there even a sense of, oh, I don't know if I want to give this up. You know, so exploring how it is, how you are, being really present with that. And mixed motivations will exist. You know, it's not like uh, we're going to immediately have this generous feeling arise just because we're practicing giving. It's uh, the practice of giving is what creates the soil for that feeling of generosity to uh, begin to take root. I'm not going to go through all of these ways about um, how a person of integrity gives a gift, but I'm going to talk about two more. One is it's said that a person of integrity gives a gift with an empathetic heart, and the next one is without adversely affecting self or other. And I think these two are connected in a way. that With an empathetic heart, really um, uh, understanding or connecting with uh, the person that you are giving to or being that you're giving to. It could be a being. Uh, so connecting with that, connecting with that person or being who you're offering to and um, seeing if there can be a, a feeling of of empathy, of what are they going through, so that it turns it around from it's all about me to what's happening for them. And so this is a piece of the practice of relationship in general, I think, is looking at what, what is this other being experiencing? It's an, that it, I think so much we go through the world really kind of wrapped in a circle of what we're doing, what we're feeling, who we are, and not really connecting with the fact that everybody else out there has their own world of what's going on for them. And so making that leap, even attempting to understand, oh, there is a possibility of of empathy there. And this other one, without adversely affecting self or other, to me this is a really interesting one and points back to what I talked about before, how um, uh, the inner and outer, the cultivation inwardly and the cultivation outwardly kind of feed back to each other. That in the act of giving, we are asked not only to consider the other, but consider ourselves. What's appropriate for ourselves? Is this an appropriate time to offer this service? Do I need some rest right now? So to, to, um, to not have the act of giving just simply be about the other, but also understanding your own conditions, your own context, your own situation. That this is really about both. And I see this back and forth over and over again in the teachings about relationship. That it's not simply about orienting outward and having that person be uh, the focus of your attention. It really is kind of a, a back and forth. Understanding what's happening there and what's happening here. Empathy for both self and other. So, in terms of relationship, the cultivation of relationship through giving, I think these 
aspects of giving with integrity point to um, some ways that that relationship can that relationship can be cultivated through giving and one is in giving with an empathetic heart to give in a way and giving without adversely affecting oneself or other giving in a way that doesn't belittle or hurt the person that you're giving to you know reflecting on how you're offering and almost you know putting yourself in their shoes how might it feel to receive here there are times when we might offer something that it would actually be demeaning uh, to, to the other person, to offer it in a particular way. And so to, to really um, reflect on this piece, you know, cultivating that relationship, like exchanging self for other, knowing how another person would feel. One um, interesting way the Buddha framed this practice of giving was um, that we should, that we could actually frame some of our encounters, the ways that we just normally engage with people, and understand them as being acts of give and take. So, for instance, here's a quote. He said, Even if one throws away the rinsings of a pot or cup into a village pool or pond, wishing that the living beings there may live on them, even this would be a source of merit, not to speak of gifts to human beings. And so here he's talking about something you might do as an act, you know, just, you know, in, in, their, in their time, you know, rinsing out their bowl or dish with some water and then throwing it on the ground, that that act, which would, could normally be just done without thought, if that act were done with consideration that this may the beings that are in this plot of ground actually benefit from the little bits of food that are left from that cup, that that's an act of giving. This is an interesting um, thing for us to reflect on. There's, there are ways in which we are engaged in, in acts of giving in our lives in all of our relationship, in all of our relationships that we may not think of as giving. It's this um, cultivating giving in a, in a wholesome way is a beautiful thing. And if we can recognize and appreciate that giving is happening, it can lighten, lighten our hearts. It can bring a sense of joy. And so it's a uh, helpful thing to think about or reflect on where or when we might be giving. For instance, you know, driving down the freeway, we might be, um, you know, somebody comes up close and we, we back off the accelerator and let them have an easy merge. You know, there might be a little bit of, you know, animosity or frustration in your heart as that person is coming up and trying to get in front of you. But could you turn it around and freely offer that space. What is that? Just even think about that right now. How does that change your relationship, both to your experience in the moment, if you think about what it would mean to seeing somebody in a little bit of a rush to back off and offer 
take that space. Oh, it's yours. How does that feel in the heart to think about doing it that way? As opposed to, you know, grinching and being frustrated and like, you know, giving them a obscene gesture as they cut in front of you. You know, what's the difference in the mind? And those t- it's huge. And so there's a lot of ways that we can frame our small acts, small ways of, of being with each other as giving. One time I was with um, a group of friends at a restaurant and um, uh, it was a group of Dharma friends and my Dharma, one of my Dharma friends said to me at the end of that, have you ever thought that our coming here to this restaurant and having a meal is offering these people livelihood. It's a gift to them. I said, no, I hadn't thought about that. You know, that this, this, the, the way that we engage in our culture, there's so much distance between what might in other cultures be actually seen as a gift. You know, that, that you know, again, so just framing or, or rethinking how you are engaging. You know, not to speak of, a, of an offering of, a, of an extra tip or something on, in that situation. Just the act of, you know, shopping in the grocery store and, you know, buying a cup of coffee. In a way, it supports this give-and-take environment. It's really separated for us. And, you know, it, yeah, it... it, um, it um, your, your own, however you receive your own income, looking at that as a gift, in a way. So that, I think that um, reframing can help us remember that we're in relationship. This exploration of relationship, I think, as practice, anything that we can do to help us remember that we are in relationship all the time can support this field of um, uh, relationship as a place to learn and grow as, a pl- as opposed to a, a kind of a, a terrain to get through in our lives. There's so much learning and growing that happens in the field of relationship. So the second area of um, non-harming, of ethics, essentially. This is another big area of um, how we engage in the world. In the Buddhist understanding, an ethical practice is not so much about... It's not really... I mean, it, it's, it's not really about judgment of what's wrong or right. It's much more pragmatic that the whole exploration the Buddha made was around how can we as human beings find ways to be free of suffering? And there's much of that work that's done in our own minds, much of that work that's done looking at how we hold on and cling and get contracted and reactive to what's going on in the world. But in the process of exploring where does suffering come from, how is suffering created, 
how is suffering perpetuated, we start to get interested in how we're contributing to suffering in the world and to find ways to not do that. That if we are truly interested in living a life that uh, orients us towards letting go of suffering, of freedom from suffering, then we become interested in how can we engage in this world such that we are not causing harm in the world. So there's, you know, the five traditional, this, the, the ethical uh, practices familiarly stated through the practices of the five precepts, refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what's not offered, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from false speech, and refraining from intoxicants that cloud our minds and make us not be very clear. So the, um, uh, the exploration around these isn't so much that, uh, and, and the, the orientation isn't so much that, you know, this is this somebody else is judging this is bad and this is good, but more that if you want to cultivate a heart that feels at peace, that feels at ease, these actions are going to get in your way. Killing living beings, taking what's not freely offered, that will get in the way of having a peaceful heart. And so... um, If you want to move towards freedom in your own life, refrain from these actions in relationship. So the, um, uh, this whole understanding of ethics is really an understanding of how to live a life that is not harming others. That's the the kind of orientation. And in the Buddha's... um, kind of a, a simple way he talked about this to his son at one point. One of the, I think it was one of the first teachings he gave to his son. His son was seven years old. He basically gave him the principles of living uh, in relationship skillfully. The very first teaching he gave to his son. Here's, here's a good way to engage. And he said, before you do something, if you know it's going to cost somebody else to, to be hurt, or the word he used was affliction, you know, in the translation, the word was affliction. If it's going to create affliction for somebody else, or for yourself, or for both, again, bringing this back over and over again in relationship, looking at, is this action going to create harm or affliction for for the other person for oneself or for both, then don't do it. If you see that it is a wholesome action, then it's fine. Go ahead and do it. This is the first principle he he offered. And then he said, while you're doing something, check it out. See, is it causing affliction? If you see that it's causing affliction for another or for yourself or for both, you should stop. And then he didn't stop there. He said, after you've done an action, you should look back and see, did it end up causing harm? If it did, then basically he said, you need to to learn from that. 
Undertake restraint in the future is the phrase that's used, but I, I take a kind of a, I extrapolate from that in my own exploration of this, this sutta, this teaching, that, you know, in retrospect, in looking back, you know, all along, if you've actually been going through this and you've, you've seen, okay, I'm going to, if you've been following these guidelines, it's like, it's mind-blowing that a seven-year-old could do this, but, um, okay, I see, yeah, this action, I don't see that this action is going to cause harm, so I'm going to do it, okay, and I'm doing it, and I'm not seeing it causing any harm. So it seems like it's, it's good. It's a wholesome action. My heart is in a good place. And yet, afterwards, maybe much afterwards, we see, wow, somehow it didn't, it didn't have the impact or there was a different impact there than I expected. And there was somebody that suffered. Or there was a situation there that, that created harm. There the Buddha says, you know, don't just rest back on your sense of, well, I didn't mean to do harm. He basically wants us to learn from our mistakes. I don't think he's saying beat ourselves up and tell ourselves we're a horrible person about it, but look back, reflect what happened there. Review it. Understand what you did and learn from it. So this is, um, this is the, the principle of ethics, is looking at how are we engaging and is it causing harm? And to keep, you know, this, this practice of looking back and saying, well, I didn't see it was going to cause harm, but it did cause harm, has the possibility of helping us to uncover different kinds of misunderstandings. It might uncover a, a misunderstanding of something that we just didn't know about the world. You know, we did something not knowing something about how the world works. And then we learn, wow, you know, you do things that way and it doesn't have a good result. So, you know, we learn something about the outer world. You know, maybe our heart was in the right place, but we didn't understand something about how the world worked. That's one of the things. And, and so we can learn, we can learn that as well. And seeing that, we can then recognize, oh, in that situation, I need to be careful. The other piece that this points to is ways in which we're deceiving ourselves. Ways in which we are, um, you know, thinking about or, or uh, thinking, oh, this is, a, this, is a, this is a beautiful thing to offer to somebody, but uh, there's something underneath that we're hoping to get out of it. There's a story, I'll try to tell this very quickly because I see that the time is running short, that I heard, I heard this story on This American Life, and it was about um, a group that did a kind of spontaneous uh, improv in public places. They would do things like, you know, throw a birthday party on a subway car or something like that. You know, just give, hand out balloons to everybody on the car and have everybody start singing happy birthday. You know, things like that. They would do this kind of improv. Well, one time they decided to give this 
little band, this tiny little band that nobody had ever heard of or had very little following. They were having this little gig in New York City. They decided to give them the best gig of their life. And so they, a whole bunch of these improv people um, descended on the club that evening. And um, it was a tiny little club, and most of the people in the club were these in these actors, basically. And all of these actors had learned the songs that these people played. And they all played their parts really well. You know, some of them were like closing their eyes and just mouthing the words and swaying. And, you know, others were like really in there dancing. And, you know, and the band is like thrilled, you know. It's like this is the, the best reception they've ever gotten. You know, people who really appreciated their music. And, you know, they had a great night that night. And that was what the improv group said. Well, that was our intention. That the 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 uh, the name of the thing that they called it was the best gig ever. You know, they wanted to give this little group the best gig of their lives, the best night of their lives. So that was their intention. And yet, what happened is that they published their work on a website. This improv group, they publish it and they said, no, here's one thing we did. We gave this group the best gig of their lives and, you know, they gave the name of the band and people started um, listening to that band and they started really trashing that band. And then they got back to the band that this was all a setup. I mean, it was all an act. And they were devastated. You know, they were devastated. It was a huge painful thing for them to realize that that was all a lie, basically. And so there, while, yes, perhaps the intention was, quote, good, it was based on a lie. It was not based on truth. And, you know, when I heard this story and I heard the, the, the leader of the improv say, well, our intentions were good, my heart just broke because I felt like they weren't taking the opportunity to learn, you know, to, to just stop there and say our intentions were good. There's, you know, there's, there's two things. I mean, you know, one thing is to look inside. This was based on something that wasn't true. And so that itself has its own repercussions. But then also, perhaps this kind of art, this kind of improv, shouldn't be directed to specific individuals. You know, that this is, you know, maybe there's something that they could learn about causing that harm. I didn't hear that so much from their reflections on it. And that, that made my heart ache to hear that. And so, you know, there are things we can learn about how the world works, you know, and things we can learn about our own inner motivation. You know, why are we doing this? What's the, what's the point? Is it really to give that group the best night of their lives? Or is it partly to be able to publish this and be able to say we did something? So, to reflect and... Um, We use this as, a, as an inquiry when we see there has been harm created to not just simply kind of settle back on, well, I, was, I wasn't, didn't mean harm, so I couldn't have done anything else. You know, learn from that, learn from that 
possibility. And so again, the, the refraining from harm, refraining from acting um, in these ways protects others. It gives what's said to be the gift of fearlessness that people in our um, presence need not be afraid of being harmed. That's a beautiful gift for the world. It also gives us a gift, the bliss of blamelessness, that we go through our lives, our, uh, our day, recognizing that we have not been causing harm and our hearts can be at ease around that. So again, this feedback, how the relationship, skillful relationship, supports, supports bo- both others and ourselves. So I'm going to have to stop there because it's time to stop. So I don't have time to talk about the third one, about kindness, but hopefully you get a sense of how kindness fits into the picture here. The, the non-harming, the offering of, of gifts, it, it, it supports the field out of which love can grow. You know, love, love actually in some ways while it can be cultivated actively and is something that we can cultivate actively, very much it is a, um, a result of all the many other ways that we engage in practice. That uh, there's, so, there's several places in the text where it points to the development of, of love, of kindness, of compassion as naturally coming as we learn how to let go of our own ways that we are contracted and tight. As we let those go, as I mentioned at the beginning, as we let those go, as we see the way our own uh, hearts and minds are put together, we see it's the way everybody's hearts and minds are put together and our hearts open to that. And that very opening, that openness itself is that connection, that love, that metta. So thank you for your attention.